are listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Firework, SPS Commerce, and Sezzle. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, the OmniTalk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is April 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Dan Mazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss the top five most important headlines from the past week that highlight how the physical, digital, and human elements of retail are evolving to shape the future. Now, Chris. Yes, Anne. We are in a, a hotel room. We are in a hotel room. We tried not to be in a hotel room. Uh, in fact, this is my hotel room for anyone interested. But uh, yeah, we tried to be outside. <laughs> be interested. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we got a ceiling fan rotating in the background. We tried yeah. to be outside in front of a, a, a sculpture of an otter, Anne. Yeah, we did. Because we're at the Monterey Hotel, Monterey Plaza Hotel and Spa. Yes. Right? And, and Spa. You've, right? You've nailed it. For the Sea Otter Classic Summit, there was a sculpture of a sea otter right behind us. And the Wi-Fi didn't work. No. So we had a quick scene change. Quick We're here. Scene change quick scene change. Yeah. We're here. But this conference has been so amazing. We're in Monterey, California. Yes. One of the most beautiful places in the entire world. I joke every time we come here, but I swear, this is like the movie sequence that happens when somebody dies. You like see water crashing against the rocks and like, like it's so beautiful here. Like, I hope this is this is your nirvana. This is your vision it of is. heaven. It's, this yeah. is like, you know, when they when you're like, where's your calm place? Like, man, this you, is it. You know what my vision of heaven is? What? Getting to talk to the AM Consumer Retail Group, oh which God. we are going to do today. It's my favorite monthly podcast. Every month the AM Consumer Retail Group joins us. Couldn't be more excited, you Anne. You could die tonight today. And I could. Happy. I could talk in retail. In the afterlife. Let's That's my goal. Let's do it. Uh, well, let's give a warm OmniTalk welcome, Chris, to Truett Horn and Dr- Jeff Dwyer of the AM Consumer Retail Group. Truett, Jeff, I'd love for you both to introduce yourselves to the audience. Um, Truett, let's start with you. Great. Good morning, Ann and Chris. Good to see you again. Um, I'm Truett Horn. I'm a partner in the Alvarez and Marsal Consumer Retail Group. And a lot of my work revolves around large scale change and driving growth particularly around marketing areas, marketing effectiveness, et cetera. So looking forward to digging in on those topics with you today. And true, this is your second time on the OmniTalk Fast Five. Is that right? Second time. So I'm a veteran now. So they let you back. That, that You must have passed the I, test you, the you first time. Me, you let me back. So We let get, you back. If I don't get invited again, I know today didn't go great. <laughs> so. <laughs> true, we've got some stories for you for sure. I yes, we wait. do. We're going to ask True to go back to his childhood, Anne. <laughs> That's right. Well, and that. Yes. I was I was specifically talking about the retail-related stories. Like oh, yes. Yeah, we might cover media. some retail, yes. too. Yeah, on this podcast. Uh, but Good also, call. we're going to make you flash back to childhood. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an open book. Great. <laughs> Perfect. That's what we need for this podcast. Uh, Jeff, tell the audience a little bit about you. This is your first time on the Fast Five. Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I uh, I am Jeff DeWire, partner out of our Chicago office. Uh, my background's kind of heavy finance, corporate finance side mm-hmm. of of the world. Um, I specialize in office of the CFO services with the uh, uh, with the AM Consumer Retail Group. Amazing, wonderful. We are so thrilled to have you both on the show today. Um, Chris, why don't you tell the listeners what we've got in store? Yeah, all right, let's do this. In today's Fast Five, we've got news on. Lululemon reportedly putting Mirror up for sale, a looming port strike, ShopRite placing digital large screen TVs within its check lanes, a new recycling program from Petco. But we begin today with news out of Walmart that I'm not going to lie, Ann, it's kind of a victory lap for me. 
Oh God, we love we love. I that. love victory laps. Any, anytime we can we can set Chris up for a victory lap on the podcast is a good one. Uh, well, Chris, headline number one, according to CNBC, yes, Walmart has sold Bonobos to WHP Global and Express for seventy five million dollars. Uh, Walmart purchased Bonobos back in 2017, for those of you who need the reminder, for a whopping $310 million while the company was under the stewardship of former e-commerce president and your best friend, Mark Laurie. Yes. Uh, terms of the deal are such that WHP will acquire Bonobos brand, the Bonobos brand for $50 million and Express will get Bonobos's operating assets and related liabilities for $25 million. Uh, Jeff, that's that's one heck of a write down. Uh, we we're so glad you are on the show. Yeah, this we, finance guy for this. I know part. we Perfect. know what went wrong here, and what lessons should we all be taking away? Yeah, anytime you're you're writing down a quarter of a billion dollars, it's not a it's not a win. Um, look, <laughs> to put it simply, that's a quote of the show already coming in strong. Dial it up, look, Jeff. Look, I think it was an odd acquisition on the front end. To be honest with you, I think it it. Uh, it, it's it, the, the Bonobos brand was pretty hot before the Walmart acquisition. Uh, and unfortunately, they, I think they cheapened it actually while they were trying to figure out how to make $100 plus chinos fit kind of within their overall portfolio. Um, on the flip side of that, I actually do think that this is a win for Express, as you, as you noted before, you know, getting these this brand, these assets for uh, for $75 million almost feels like a steal given it's a $200 million uh, plus business. So there's there's incredible synergies that I think the brand has coming into the Express portfolio. And more importantly, their ability to grow their showroom presence and kind of store within a store opportunities will be will be another great compliment, especially as you think about the Express menswear compliment that they're they're uh, they're trying to aggressively go after. Um, it's a clear winner for for one of the two and, uh, and yeah. a pretty clear, pretty clear loser for the other one. Yeah, Jeff, I completely agree with you. Like, I, I actually think this is a really big win for Express. When you think about Express trying to become more relevant as a brand to the next generation audience, I think Bonobos is a great way for them to be able to do that. Hmm. And like you said, it, you know, $25 million, they're getting all the assets for the Expresses. And I mean, that yeah, seems really cheap. Actually. Right. Like to Jeff's point, it seems like a really great value deal for them. Right. It's a great experiment for Express. But um, Je- or Truett, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts? Do you have anything to add here? No, I think Jeff did a great uh, job explaining it. I think it's a really great asset for Express. Um, and I do think there's a theme perhaps in the show today with acquisitions go- going wrong. Yep. Um, bring this back a little bit to what is the strategic in- intent of an acquisition? Do we have the core competency to derive the value out of it or not? Um, and I'll, I think we'll have another example here in a minute that the answer was no as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, no, Chris, before I get to you for your rant, I mean, I think we're gonna you think to- I'm gonna rant, huh? You, you already gonna, know I'm gonna I rant. You're, you're gonna rant, so I'm gonna you're close, warning everyone. We're gonna close it up with you. I mean, my question is like, was this ever in what world was this acquisition going to work? I mean, they they still remained completely separate brands, which I think was the the issue here. Like there was there, like if you go to the Bonobo site still today, there's no mention of like leveraging any of the Walmart assets. Like return to a Walmart in case you ordered this and you live in Arkansas, not, you know, New York City and you don't have a Bonobos down the street. Like there's no no value coming from their partnership that I could find in, in the last few years. But Chris, I'm going to hand it over to you. Oh, yeah. Well, wow, you're really take, setting me up here. Take your victory right lap. What, 
Well, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial it up to eleven here, right from the get go. No and, doubt. Yeah. I mean, I we've talked about this before, but this strategy was uh, it was an honestly, it was an effing joke from the very beginning, and um, and to me, and I'm gonna be very point pointed when I say this, it actually shows me how little Mark Laurie knows about e-commerce, and I know that's hard for people to hear and want to believe, but it's true. I mean, he talked about this acquisition from the point of view of building a stable of brands to get more traffic to Walmart.com. But why do you need to spend $300 million to do that? You already have a marketplace. Just plug them into your marketplace at right. no cost to you. That's how e-commerce works. Well, especially coming from diapers.com. Like, why, why aren't we looking at the practical additions to the marketplace versus like something that is completely separated from the Wal what the Walmart customer is, is accustomed to? 100%. And it's it's the same fact. It's the same thing with Moose which they divested a few weeks ago as well. You're, you're, you're going to the high-end retailer space. You know nothing about that space. It adds no value to you. You could have easily plugged them into the marketplace in the same way. So this thing was 100% doomed from the start to answer your previous question. And I've said that. I've been on record saying that for a long time. And so I think it just, I hope people are listening because it highlights a lot of questions about what do people really know versus what do people sell that they know in the marketplace? Buyer beware. Yes. Buyer beware. Um, all right, let's move on to headline number two, Chris. All right, and Lululemon is reportedly looking to sell Mirror, the fitness startup it purchased in 2020, for, believe it or not, $500 million. Yeah. According to Bloomberg, Mirror's hardware sales have missed Lululemon's projections and took an almost too crazy to believe $443 million impairment charge on the Mirror business in the fourth quarter. Quote, we don't comment on rumors or speculation, a representative for Lululemon said in a statement, as previously announced, we are shifting the focus of Lululemon Studio from a hardware-centric offering to one that is also focused on digital app-based services going forward. The work is underway and our strategy will enable us to create long-term value and build a larger community of guests with a deeper connection to Lululemon, end quote. So true, you kind of teased it up before, but my question is pretty frank on this too. What the hell went wrong here? And did Lululemon really just spend $500 million on what sounds like the 2020 equivalent of the Shakeway or the Ab Roller Plus? <laughs> I mean, the app well, roller at least did, did some work. Like, you actually got some apps from that. There was hardware. You know, all those are sitting unused, though, in somebody's, like, garage or storage unit. Well, I think the only thing worse than losing a quarter of a billion dollars is losing half a billion dollars. So we're we're kind of creatively growing here. In terms we're raising of the bar. Um, I think there are several issues with this. I think one is very clearly uh, purchased this at the peak of the market. Uh, right. With Peloton down 90% since about the similar time frame in terms of their market cap, this idea that pandemic-related behaviors, and we've seen this in, in almost every instance, we're going to hold true post-pandemic have just been unwound, and, and ultimately those um, expectations have failed. I think the second thing is, you know, why did Lululemon need this? to add a lifestyle, you know, or services to the lifestyle brand, which I really do think they are one of the few lifestyle brands, amazing mm -hmm. brand, very loyal following. What they pivoted doing now is, is classes and other features within their app, which can be done, I think, fairly lightweight, um, more programming, don't need the hardware, don't need all the IP that you're buying from something like Mirror. You, you could have done that, you know, they could have done that on their own, uh, despite of it. And then, um, you know, the last thing, I think it does go back to what we just described, which is what is the intent? Why do you need this asset to achieve uh, your corporate goals? And in this instance, I think it was probably 
um, leaning in just too much in terms of what the trajectory of the business was at the time versus how does this really fit in with with our strategic objectives? And so it was a failure from the start. Uh, they're paying the price for it. And even, you know, Lululemon will continue to be successful. $500 million is a pretty breathtaking amount of money to lose in such a short amount of time for a company of their size. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. And you brought up an interesting point, too. You were you were talking to me yesterday. We were, we were walking to get a burrito for those that are interested. Oh, God, yeah. Um, you were talking to me about some of the dynamics of the actual physical substrate of the hardware they purchased in relation to, say, Peloton or Tonal. Like, what, what was your take there? I thought that was a really interesting point you were bringing yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, I think Truett said it really well. Like, I think it was a total, like, land grab. Like, the pandemic was happening. It was like people were shifting to, in, in like, working out in their homes. And so... This was an acquisition that seemed right for the picking for Lululemon at, at that time. But the difference between Mirror and what essentially makes it obsolete right now is that there's no hardware and there's no reason that Tonal or Hydro or any of the other. It's not a piece of equipment, you mean, right? Is that what you mean? A piece of a hardware. Yeah. Like, it's not a piece of gym equipment. Right. Functionally. Right. It's, right, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a mirror. It's yeah, it's just a mirror. Acting, yeah. Like Tonal has other components yeah. to it that fold into the wall that allow you, like you have the Peloton bike or tread, yep. like you have Hydro, the rowing machine, all these things. You actually have something that you you are you are able right. to do. You can work out with it even if you're it's not using the programming. It's cool and if I now do. you just have a screen yeah. that's in your house that basically has no no utilization or actually is just better utilized on your phone when and where the consumer wants to exercise. So to me, it's like right. the equivalent of the laser disc. We're gonna look back on yeah. here and be like, what did we create that for? Like yeah. what what was the purpose of that? Not nothing, nothing at all. And I just, I think like we talked about in the last story with Walmart and Bonobos, you can't just purchase something, drop it in your store and expect the Lululemon consumer, especially in this case, to just be like, oh yeah, I'm jumping on. I want to know what mirror is. Like you have to have a better strategic plan, I think, for how you're going to bring that to your audience. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And we like, I personally liked this acquisition when I first heard about it, but I think that's the point I missed, which is the point you're bringing up is like, what is the actual hardware substrate that you're buying right. relative to the, the overall industry and how the industry is moving? So I, that's, that's it's a, like the kiosk. Like why, why are you having kiosks right. in store? You just when use you your mobile just phone. Use your mobile right. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, what do you think? Anything to add here? Yeah, look, I think, I think they found out some of the themes that you hit on hardware in home workout hardware is, hard it yeah. is really it's really hard. that's hard too to, right yeah exactly it is really difficult to win in that space yeah uh and to Anne's point i look i think i think this business just goes away i don't actually think they sell um i, I think this business is obsolete and, and one that they're gonna have a hard time monetizing anything from um but yeah it's it's i'll take it just a hockey analogy i think you know look skate to where the puck is supposed to be not where the puck puck is and i think they skated to where the puck was at the moment for for uh uh for covid unfortunately yeah Right. The other thing I would add too is I think because I think there's two parts of this story actually in retrospect. There's did they just buy the wrong thing? Which it sounds like we could argue, yes, it seems like they did. Then I would also argue that they tried to implement it the wrong way too. So had they even bought the right thing, they implemented it the wrong way too, which is your point, Anne. Like you can't just drop this into a store amidst, you know, am- amongst people shopping for apparel and think it's gonna work. You can't just build it and hear people come. Right. Right. You need to still have a direct sales approach with this. And it seems like they didn't contemplate that at all or the resources that are going to be required to make that successful as well, especially during the pandemic when this thing should have been going gangbusters too, if yeah. it was a good idea. So so I think there's two lessons here. Like what are you buying and then how are you planning to incorporate it into your mainline business is fundamental to think about as and well. And I just kind of feel for them. Like the pandemic was crazy and everybody was trying to figure Money something out crazy. real cool. quick. I mean, right. Yeah, and, obviously from the last two stories. But 
Anyway. All right, let's keep right. rolling. Let's go to headline number three. The Wall Street Journal is reporting. Let's go to more bad news. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Headline number three, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that there are renewed fears of growing work stoppages at West Coast ports. According to the journal, Jonathan Gold, vice president for supply chain at the National Retail Federation, said importers are increasingly concerned about a series of targeted labor actions that have disrupted major ports while in contract talks between employers and dock workers approach the one year mark with little sign of progress. And importers got a taste of port disruptions last week when dock workers in key positions failed to show up for shifts at the nation's busiest container port complex at Los Angeles and Long Beach on the evening of April 6th and into the next day, effectively shuttering operations for 24 hours. Don't want your operations shuttered, man. No, my favorite favorite quote, if you read this, like if you do, you should go in and read this in in its entirety. But my favorite quote was like the debate of whether or not Good Friday was a holiday. (laughs) Like they actually like some one side was like, uh, well, we didn't show up because it was a holiday. And they're like, "Uh, this has never been a holiday that we seems like something that seems like something that should be written into the union contract for sure. Very explicitly. Okay, but we have Jeff here. Yes, I have to imagine your retail and CBG clients are asking you about this. What in the world are you telling them? How should they handle this? Yeah, look, I, th- I there's, I think there's going to be some some continued disruption. And by the way, these you're you're right. These these headlines are uh, are, are just a, a page right out of feels like 2007. Um, but no, I think does, look, the yeah. disruption the disruption is inevitable in terms of of kind of the current administration and and their strong support of the unions. I think the question that we have to answer and, and ask for our customers is how long. Uh, what impact and 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 really what do you do to mitigate? So look, I think we we've kind of pulled internally within CRG. What do we think the actual likelihood of of some disruption leading to a strike? And and I think we're we're leaning on you know better than a fifty fifty shot shot here that there is uh, some some meaningful disruption into the port. I think the good news is the level of imports that we sit here today versus what we were at. Uh, five years ago is drastically different, dramatically different as retailers still work through um, some of the over inventory positions that they're in carrying into this year. The question that I have is, is, is this disruption going to extend into the holiday season? Uh, and, and then you have a, a period of pinch point that can become meaningful. So what we're advising, I think is, is being a little bit pragmatic about, we still are over inventoried. Uh, do we have opportunities to, uh, to carry certain, certain, uh, SKUs or, or certain uh, uh, pockets of our inventory that has higher higher turn, bring it in earlier, carry it a little bit heavier as we think about uh, uh, you know, coming into a tumultuous holiday season if this thing extends with with anything that's longer of a strike. That makes sense, yeah. But it's a slippery uh, slope. I would say, you know, bringing an inventory on in a market where you're already over inventory isn't really the great answer. So you really have to be targeted in terms of what you're, where you're going to over invest in, in a short amount of time. And Jeff, my question for you too is, I mean, there was talk when the when we were having all the the backup at the ports last year. There was talk about starting to shift more manufacturing to the U.S. Are you seeing your CPG and brand clients looking more into that, or is that still, you know, a difficult thing to do when you have a price conscious consumer? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, uh, I won't name the the company, but there's. Uh, one of one of my very close, it's actually my my cousin-in-law owns a, a large e-commerce retailer, and he's actually moving a lot of his apparel-based sourcing to Mexico. Um, so whether okay. it's it's U.S. or North America, I think is is he's trying to take a little bit of the bite out of of the inconsistencies that he's seeing with either freight charges or or just freight fulfillment, uh, and so trying to kind of 
get his mix right in terms of how right. he's thinking about sourcing product within um, either on a boat or or over over a truck. Right. Yeah. Uh, Truett, anything you'd add here? What are your thoughts? The only thing I would add is if we've learned anything from the past few years is that disruptions in, in the supply chain are inevitable. And so hopefully, um, you know, what we've discussed with our clients is just being flexible, redundancy, um, having multiple options in terms of getting, you know, product from international markets to DC to store, it's going to be, you know, important going forward. And this disruption doesn't seem like it's near what we've experienced in the past couple of years, but there will always be these types of incidents that pop up and um, getting, you know, let's not get caught flat-footed again. Right. Yeah, Chris. Any, what do you think after hearing what Jeff? And no, I think I think Truett summed it up well there. To me, the, the this is nothing new, honestly. Like I can remember port strikes going back to like two two thousand three, I think, with the gap like that long ago, around two thousand two, two thousand three. Seeing the the you know the ships in the bay there, you know, lining up, and you've seen pictures like that over the last two years too. So the playbook's been written in my you know from my yeah. point of view. So like everyone's looking at contingencies, they're trying to figure out what to do. You know, the important thing for me is just say I feel for everyone involved because yeah. You know, when you have to go through a year like this, if you're in planning and allocation in a retailer or supply chain functions, your job just sucks. And these guys' jobs have sucked for the past, you know, three years. And now this is going to potentially add to that. So I feel for you guys out there. Ed and I do. And uh, yeah, yeah, just You've thinking got a about lot, you. A lot you on your plate. A lot coming at you yeah. between this and social media changing your planning and allocation at the last minute like man you all you all deserve a a nice happy hour it's a tough job retailers and all right before we get to headline number four this is the part of our podcast where we also tell you about another great retail conference and and i are planning to head to this summer and that is home delivery world home delivery world delivery world (laughs) great emphasis on home there are only eight weeks left Jeez, eight weeks wow time flies There are only eight weeks left until the doors open for Home Delivery World USA 2023, the largest event for e-commerce, retailers, grocers, CPGs, and 3PLs in the U.S. It's happening this June 14th and 15th in Philadelphia. 5,000 people will be walking the exhibition floor that will also be filled with over 350 exhibitors and 250 speakers. Ann and I will be moderating panels from the show and also live streaming from the show floor, courtesy of our friends at OpenForce. Thanks to them for helping us to do that. So don't miss out. Tickets are limited. Get yours before it's too late. Just head to terrapin.com slash home delivery world. You need more emphasis. Terrapin.com slash home delivery world to get yours today. Oh, boy. Headline number four. ShopRite is piloting delivering in-store promotions via in-store TV. Is this kind of more of an uplifting story? This is where we're getting to the uplifting part of the show. Yeah, true. It's This is where I was like, true it. This one was made for you. According to Chain Store Age, ShopRite, one of Wakefern's banners, is deploying a 32-inch front-end digital TV display from Grocery TV in a select group of stores in the New York City metropolitan area and plans to continue rolling out the solution across more locations in its network. The article also goes on to add that ShopRite intends to utilize the displays both as a messaging medium and also to help reduce perceived wait time at the checkout and that the displays can be bought programmatically, have full video capabilities, and can target audiences on a national or regional level. True it. Retail media networks are all the rage. So my question for you is this. What examples have you seen of retailers working to effectively bring them to life in store? And is the ShopRite effort here a step in the right direction? 
the floor is yours. Thank you. So yes, retail media networks, very exciting. Um, the buzzword of, of 23. So in a very fast growing industry, I, you know, there's a lot of estimates in terms of how big it is, $100 billion, um, either now or the next few years seems to be the consensus. So I think it's great for retailers to explore this. And what you've typically seen is this done digitally um, on, on, you know, uh, retailers' websites and displays and PDPs and those types of things, lower funnel to drive conversion with customers. It is less obvious in store. And so although I love, yeah. you know, A for effort with ShopRite, the question I have is how do they gain buy-in and prove the return with their suppliers from doing this? Um, and it, it feels a little bit closer to me to traditional advertising, in-cap signage and POS signage, right. et cetera. How do you know who the customer is? How do you attribute a sale to the message of these screens? And um, there's a reason I was actually thinking, of, you know, your question was what other in-store mechanisms have you seen work well? I really struggled to think about what it was in store because so much of the volume is online because of the attribution factor. And so, um, I, so this is a big question mark to me. We'd love to see how it would evolve. I would love to visit a store and see it myself. But um, A for effort, we'll see if the return is there and if, um, if suppliers flood to this type of marketing approach. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. That's why, to me, like as you're saying that, I think one thing I think about is like mobile scan and go shopping is made for the in-store media network. Yeah, you know, to be able to understand the attribution through and through. But Anne, what do you think here? Like, do you like this? No, I mean it confuses me. It right? Can, yeah, I guess the, to me this is no different than like playing a TV commercial because at that point in time, like I, I like Truett saying, like I'm really curious what kind of sales they're able to attribute to these screens especially at checkout like mm -hmm. yeah how are they how are they showing and our brands even seeing lift because of this because it seems so late in the game right. i know they talked about like people will see them as they're like going up and down the aisles but are you really paying attention to that when you're in the store no like i'm on my phone trying to look at my grocery list like making sure i got all those stuff. subconsciously yeah. yeah i mean so it just seems like passive like if I'm if I'm a brand, like, is this any better than just buying a TV spot, really, like anywhere else in the store? So for me, you know, I'm there is, you know, Michael Pollack, the CRO at Grocery TV, who is quoted in this article. We've oh, had yeah. on wow. the show before. Yeah, he's been on a show a long um, time ago, but yeah, he he seems to think that there's something to this. I, I want to, so I I think it's worth exploring, but I really want to see, like, to me, it's like the shelf scanning cameras and like tracking people like SES and Mega Tags doing or even like cooler screens that are like yeah right that's a good example in too. the store yep. environment and they're able to see I saw this ad for Tide on the Coca-Cola cooler screen did that person make the the journey correlated the to the POS data later that, on like that's where I think the trip. power in the in the in-store signage is is living yeah I feel the same way like I I love this story for like what it could be yeah but I don't love this execution of it mm -hmm. and like and I think you guys are right. Like the point of putting this at the check lane just seems like the wrong spot. It's too late. Cause it reminds me of like when I was doing cashier training for my store manager yeah. role at Target, like I spent a day doing cashier training. One thing they impressed upon us is never ask the customer if they found it, if they found what they were looking for. Right. And so like you serving me up an ad at that point in time is right. is that exact same idea.
Yeah. Like it only leads to frustration. And then if I see something I like, I'm going to piss everyone off because I'm going to be like, oh, go get that for me. And you're going to have to wait in line and all that kind of stuff. So it just doesn't seem right. So the ideas that we're throwing out there seem like a better place to me to invest the money. But uh, Jeff, let's give you the last word on this. You agree with us? Anything you'd add here? Yeah, you're going exactly where I was going. I think you're going to be limited to impulse buys at at the register versus anything that somebody's going to re-navigate themselves back through the uh, uh, through the store to 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 do the treasure hunt. I think for extreme value retailers like Shoprite, it's look they're trying to scream value, right? They're trying to be a little quiche and 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 trying to get that that uh, that perception ingrained in their customers' heads. But I, I I'm right there with you in terms of the location of these screens and and what they're trying to accomplish. I think is is a miss. It's a good point, though. Impulse shouldn't be discounted, though. Like, you, there's still a lot of volume that gets sure. through those check lanes. And, you know, Sim, your gas station, and, uh, you know, I think the gas station analysis, too, is a really good one as well. Like, you know, you got them at the pumps. Those must be working to drive people into the pump. So could right. that same behavior happen at the grocery store? I might have flipped on this as we're talking. But I think the cool thing is it's cool to see somebody's trying it. We don't know where this is going to go. It's exciting to think about. Like, I, I don't know. I I think if you're going to make the investment, in putting the TVs in, like, is one single category of impulse enough to justify the investment when we start to look at scaling that out to more grocery stores? It is at the pump, though, you know? But anyway, let, let's solve this for another day. But wow, that was a great conversation. A lot of angles to that, That's Anne. right. Uh, all right, let's go to headline number five. Petco has launched a new recycling pilot. According to Chain Storage, Petco, in partnership with Trex, the decking company, uh, it oh. says that its customers can bring in non-curbside plastic waste, such as used shopping bags and other plastic film, to Petco stores for recycling. Petco stores will also recycle sh- their own materials, shrink wrap from pallets, can cases, small bag dog food, etc., um, all with the goal of diverting incremental plastic waste from landfills. The pilot is currently in approximately 40 stores and Petco hopes to expand the program to additional areas with the Trex partnership network in the future and estimates that the pilot could divert nearly 40,000 pounds of plastic waste with the potential to grow to approximately 864,000 pounds. It's very specific. It's right. Uh, when the program <laughs> expands. Like yeah, right. Okay, Truett, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Chris and I are out here at the uh, Lifetime Seattle Classic Summit and Everyone is talking about sustainability. Um, it's an outdoors industry conference, so that makes sense. But it does present some operational challenges. I'm curious, you know, I know there's so many of your clients probably working towards the sustainability goal or, you know, eliminating carbon footprint by X year. What are you advising them to do when they're trying to operationalize and, and really just achieve these sustainability goals? Yeah, where should they start? Yeah, so... Sustainability, look, it's a topic that is extremely important and will, you know, can remain important. So I think finding your angle as a retailer or a customer, I mean, a, a company more generally is super important. Um, I think the first thing it really does come down to credibility and authenticity. And, you know, what we found through consumer research and work with other companies is you have to actually align it to something with your corporate mission. And it has to be believable. And um, if it's just kind of a marketing campaign, then that is literally the worst case scenario. And if you know consumers are pretty savvy and they find out about that. Uh, so that's more broadly, I think every company should have a sustainable angle in their, their mission and vision. I think when it comes to actually products and commercializing it, this is, I think, honestly, very difficult. I don't think we've seen a lot of good examples of this, this working where there's a commercial benefit 
and it aligns to the mission. I mean, there are, are certain examples. Lululemon bringing them back in. They had a plant-based nylon this week that they announced. That's interesting. Is that one SKU or is that something that they'll actually have platforming based on? That would be very interesting. And I think aligning with, you know, their sustainability goals that they've outlined for 2030. So I just, to me, it's, um, it's, it's important to find your niche. It just has to be grounded in something and hang uh, together with something bigger than an initiative or a press release or a marketing campaign. Um, not saying that that this particular instance falls in that category, but I think that's the watch out we have. Yeah. Jeff, how about you? I mean, what are you telling clients that this has got to be top of mind, especially, I mean, especially curious to get your financial input yeah. here. Like how are we, it costs time, costs resources to be able to make this sustainable. I remember trying to do this at Target with Veronica and Danta. She and I were working on sustainability on store of the future. Like that's a challenge that they have to face. How do you, how do you lift this to the priorities when it does cost retailers quite a bit to do? Yeah, well, I think what Petco has done here is is trying to offset some of those costs that are the harder costs with with bringing traffic back into their store. Um, right. Right. So, you know, one of the things that, that is so attractive about uh, this strategy is is that customer thought process as they engage within the ESG marketplace. So, the the, the benefit that uh, there's a benefit and a burden, obviously, with ESG. The benefit is it is so wide and and broad and wide open for these these companies to engage in in more, um, you know practices that are aligned with their mission vision statement. Um, however, I think there's there's a lot of times in reticent to just do certain things for the buzz or the media um, versus to, to true its point, the end goal, which is ultimately, are you doing things because you're just a believer of it and it's a sunk cost? Um, or are you doing things just to check an ESG box and, and try to uh, try to say that you're an active participant? Yeah, Chris, we, we've been talking about this a lot. And yeah. I know you, you had some some ideas that sprang to mind as we were thinking about this related to what Jeff's saying about getting customers into store. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of points like one, and this definitely was the topic du jour of this oh, conference. Yeah. Like everyone was talking about it. And the point that stuck with me was when somebody said yesterday, if your CEO is not out actually lobbying Washington for sustainability goals, mm -hmm. they're not, that company is doing lip service on their sustainability issue. Initiatives, right. which I think is something important to think about, and I have no idea. I have no idea to the extent that Petco CEO is doing that, so I'm not going to comment on that. But I think it's just an important thing to think about and evaluate as you're looking at retailers to decide where do they all stand. Mm -hmm. But I think back to Jeff's point, I I like this because it simply answers the question that is the fundamental question and why we do this show is why am I coming to the store to begin with? Yep, this is one possible reason. And so if you can measure the traffic impact. You can figure out a financially responsible way to do it, then I'm all for it. And it also got me thinking like, it's my merchant hat now. And like, why don't we have recycling days? Yeah. Like, why aren't those branded activities at Target, at Walmart, at Name Your Retailer, where people come in and they recycle their products? We have, sometimes you have like car seat trade-ins and things like mm -hmm. that, but why don't we just have recycling days? Bring in your phones, bring in your batteries, do all that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it just seems like a completely missed opportunity on the branding side. Especially these repeat, like traffic stores like Target, Walmart, and Petco. Like it totally makes sense. I, I also wonder like why are 
are we tying this into loyalty? That's a very easy thing to do. Like right. Target, can you give, you know, right. your extra 5% of people bring in recycling materials? I mean, right. yes, it adds some operations challenges right. up front, but you know, those kinds of investments will continue to bring people into store into the store and continue to get people to be loyal. Right. And you're all giving to charity, just divert the money that way, right? Yeah. So yeah, fascinating. All right, let's close it up, you guys. We're going to the lightning round. We need we need a sound effect for that too. Like, the lightning round. We do need some sound elements here, I think. Yeah, we'll work yeah, on we that. We got to think we'll about work that. On that. All right, Truett, first question is going to you. Uh, we're going to take you in the Wayback Machine. Mattel and Gap announced a new collaboration debuting with the Barbie-inspired apparel line just in time for the new movie release this spring. Which of your favorite childhood brands and current favorite apparel brands would you most like to see collaborate? It's a very, very good and interesting question. So, so my favorite childhood characters were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, oh wow. Yes. All right. TMNT. So I think it would be very, I'm not cool enough to wear this, but I think it would be very cool if you had a collab between them and Levi's with like a oh. denim jacket oh. with a couple of the, the, you know, turtles in the back. Raphael was my favorite. Yeah. Didn't so, he have like a cutoff sleeve, like yeah. denim jacket that he wore in the, Maybe, in like the, <laughs> in the, in the oh, live I action movie. What happened to your body? Wow. Really? I, mean, I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh my Ninja God. <laughs> I was more of a Leonardo wow, girl, but wow, you know, wow. it's okay. So that's what you want. You want that true. You want like embroidery, embroidery cool. on this jacket too? I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's yeah, what yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, has, right, cool. it has to be embroidered, but I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> awesome. All right. I know Ann's in on that one. All right, yep. Jeff. Chick-fil-A is planning a new clothing collection to highlight its seven sauce flavors. Jeff, what sauce would you most want emblazoned on the front of a t-shirt that you were to wear on a Saturday? First off, I don't know if anybody's cool enough to wear Truett's jacket that he just referenced from, <laughs> from the initial one. I couldn't pull that off, no. <laughs> no, that would be tough. Uh, look, I, I think, you know, as a as a big Chick-fil-A connoisseur, uh, my, uh, my go-to would be the Zesty Buffalo sauce. Uh, the, the Chick-fil-A sauce that they, that they have, that is the special sauce. It would be a, a close number two. Um, but I would like to see zesty Buffalo on just for would it just say naming zesty? alone. Was it just say zesty or would you be wearing a sweatshirt that essentially just says zesty Buffalo? Cause that I think <laughs> Ooh, could have buffalo. all kinds of connotations and I love it. Yeah. I, uh, I'd probably do a front and back type thing. Zesty on the front, oh, Buffalo right. on the back. Oh, nice. <laughs> I love it. I, I love like it. this special sauce too. Like yeah. that's a great shirt yeah. too. Like. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Jeff, back to you for question number three, men's warehouse unveiled wedding wingman, a digital tool that helps grooms and groomsmen pick their wedding attire. I want to know what chore in your life do you wish you could enlist a wingman for? Yeah, it's, it, it's, I don't know if it's a chore as much as it would be farming out uh, to do's. Uh, but I would love, I have two young kids and I feel like I'm taking them. I'm their just glorified Uber driver. So if I could farm oh, out smart. the, uh, the Uber driving to, uh, to a wingman or wing woman, uh, that isn't my wife so that I actually can, can get some benefit out of it. It would be a, a home <laughs> run. Right. The personal driver, hundred percent. All yeah. right, true. Let's close it out. McDonald's said it plans to bring back the Hamburglar. Truett, what fictional character from your youth would you most like to see come back to life? And no, you cannot say the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles again for this answer. All right. Well, I would love to bring back the entire Sandlot baseball team. Oh, yeah. They don't look the same. (laughs) And that is probably the issue. (laughs) That is one of my favorite movies and brings back amazing memories 
you know, positive childhood memories. Any yes. particular character you would like to see more than the others? Um, the kid, I don't remember his name, but the one with the really big glasses, the really dorky kid who got yes. the girl at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Smalls. Yes. I like I them. It. Gotta yeah. go with Smalls. Gotta right. go with Smalls. <laughs> All right. And you gotta go with the Omni Talk Retail Fast Five. That wraps us up for today. Happy birthday to Clint Howard, Jessica Lang, and the irreplaceable George McFly, Mr. Crispin Glover. And dad George? dad yeah dad yeah crispin glover okay i don't know about irreplaceable but <laughs> oh he was so good in that movie all right but remember if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business make it omni talk the only retail media outlet run by two former executives from a current top 10 u.s retailer our fast five podcast is the quickest fastest rundown of all the week's top news and our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also comes with exclusive content that we make just for you. And we try really hard to fit it all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Truett, if people want to get in touch with you or anyone at the AM Consumer and Retail Group, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, we'd love to connect. So there's really two ways. One is our website, which is Alvarez and Marsal-CRG.com. Or you can check it out, check us out on LinkedIn, Alvarez and Marsal Consumer and Retail Group. Just type that into the search and you'll find us. Awesome. Well, Jeff Truett, thanks for being with us. On behalf of them, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, and all of us here at OmniTalk Retail, as always, be careful out there. The Omnitalk Fast Five podcast is brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Firework. Firework is the largest video commerce solution built for the world's leading brands. They empower brands with shoppable and live stream video on their own websites where people like to shop. Put your commerce in motion with Firework. Find out more at firework.com. And SPS Commerce. SPS Commerce is redefining how businesses across the supply chain operate in an omni-channel world. Their experts, tech, and data work together to fuel your growth and deliver for your customers. To find out more, head to spscommerce.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com. 